This is Coast to Coast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys. One from each coast, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legal Talk Network. You're listening to Coast to Coast, the top-rated legal radio show on the web. I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. I write two blogs, Law Sites and Media Law, both of which are at LegalLine.com. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Bob, today we're going to be talking about lawyers suffering from a serious image problem in this country. Well, this may surprise some of our listeners, but lawyers are actually perceived as serious, one-dimensional, and sometimes boring individuals whose lives are dominated by the minute details of the law. Well, and what's also going to surprise our listeners is that we are going to shatter this belief on Coast to Coast this morning. We are going to prove that lawyers can also have fun. We're going to present evidence that lawyers are vibrant human beings with a lot more going on in their lives than just their day jobs. Well, and Bob, let's start with you. We know that you can blog with the best of them, but what else do you do for fun? Well, you know, I don't really even count because I've spent uh, more of my career in, in journalism than in law practice, and everybody knows that you can't have much more fun in life than working in a newsroom. How about you, Craig? Well, I'm a bit of journalist myself, but uh, in addition to uh, practicing law, I teach skiing on the weekends occasionally. I, I also scuba dive and sail and ride a Harley. I think living in Southern California and teaching skiing sounds like a contradiction, but that's okay. Well, it is kind of oxymoronic because you can surf in the morning, which I do, and you can ski in the afternoon. Well, uh, let's uh, not you know, forget about golf, tennis, uh, traveling. Uh, we have found some lawyers with some pretty incredible hobbies that we're going to introduce to you today. And you'd swear that our first guest came right out of Graceland. Attorney Noli Bice is general counsel at the Bailey University Law School. Noli was also a partner at his own law firm in Waco, Texas. But besides the law, his other passion is being an Elvis Presley impersonator. He performs as a member of the Unnaturals, five Baylor graduates who share a love of rock and roll music. Welcome to the program, Noli. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, Noli, can you give us a sample of your Elvis impersonation? And I can't do that without my band behind me. Well, how long have you been performing as, as Elvis? Well, actually, this started uh, a long time ago in a small uh, area, and it's still small, and people may confuse this with a group that does it seriously. Ours is kind of a joke, and it's a lot of fun. We dress up and act crazy like in the 50s, but this started uh, in the late, 60s, I guess, uh, with uh, some legal secretaries' uh, meetings or conferences, and they invited us to do that. I had started beating on the guitar back in in the uh, 50s in the heat of the Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis stuff. So are you saying that your love of Elvis came before your love of the law? Uh, actually, yes. I, I had plans to be a geologist. I was at the University of Texas. Of course, I found out you had to pass chemistry, and that wasn't going to happen. But I happened to get a, uh, a J45 Gibson guitar, a box guitar back then that I fell in love with, and I learned the three chords that Elvis played. 
hang around and yell, and that's that's what I started doing. And some of the guys that that I ran with would uh, get together and would have hoedowns. So uh, actually, it did come before uh, before I thought about going to law school. So where does your band perform? Where what kinds of uh, forums are you in? Well, it's just uh, by invitation to different places. We've uh, we've done everything from. Uh, uh, legal secretaries' dinners to the American Business Women's Association to perform for uh, law school Christmas parties to Baylor University's uh, Christmas function uh, uh, in the uh, uh, basketball uh, arena, uh, just just different places. Are the other people in your band also lawyers? Uh, yeah, we've got... Uh, Three lawyers. There's really four lawyers in the band and one car wash guy. I don't know how he got in there. <laughs> but that guy, he keeps you uh, honest, Tommy yeah. Brazier, won the gong show on the day that Elvis Presley died. Oh, and we God. figured that that was a close enough connection that, uh, that we could use him. Did the other, are the others also Elvis impersonators? No, no. They, uh, they play uh, different uh, instruments. We have Pat Nunley as a lawyer. Uh, here, who uh, plays our drums? We call him Rimshot, and uh, Paul Marable uh, plays the guitar and sings. And David Dixon, another lawyer, uh, plays, plays the bass. So, of course, the audiences react to you the same way that they do to Elvis, right? <laughs> well, when they stop laughing, we've had to, uh, as as we have aged, our our. Uh, Presentation has changed a little bit. Uh, the, the black wig that I wear now is peppered salt and pepper, so that it's uh, it's the aging one. And uh, at the last function we uh, did, which was for the uh, Baylor Law School Alumni Association, uh, I entered on a walker. <laughs> and we had one that we did uh, a year or two ago for the... Uh, Rotary Club here in Waco, and we had the emergency medical technicians with their ambulance and uh, IVs uh, roll me in in a wheelchair. So we're trying to keep up with where Elvis would be now. And where would Elvis be? Uh, where would Elvis? Would Elvis still be in Vegas at this point, or what would he be doing? Uh, who knows? He'd, he'd probably uh, not be in Vegas, I think, but just uh, sitting around banging around with his buddies, because I think that's what he enjoyed doing more than anything else. And he certainly didn't need to uh, to farm for income. So do other lawyers uh, razz you about your performances at all, or are they uh, pretty well accepted in your community? Well, in our community in Waco, Texas, it's a fairly small community, and we're generally not surprised at what other lawyers do. We know each other. And, uh, and when people see it and hear it for the first time who are not aware of it, uh, they're a little shocked because, you know, in, as a lawyer or as general counsel at the university, people think of you as being somewhat reserved. But, you know, when you step out there and do this, you take on a complete new air and you are uh, uh, you're just totally different. You let it all hang out. And, uh, and that's the fun of it. And that's what's the relaxation from, uh, uh, from the regular grind of practicing law. What's your favorite Elvis song to do? Uh, the one to do would be Blue Suede Shoes. That usually gets the 
people patting their foot and jumping a little bit, and they seem to really like that, uh, that feather. So if you had to be Elvis or be a lawyer, which would be your choice? Well, if I could be Elvis, really, and moving around, I'd like to do that probably for six months and then go back to being a lawyer. Uh, I, I've often thought, you know, as a youngster, how neat it would be to be on the road with a band and get to perform because that's a lot of fun. But then in reality, you find out what they go through and how much uh, trouble it is and what you give up. And I wouldn't trade being a lawyer to be Elvis for very long. Well, we're going to wrap up our segment here on uh, Lawyers Having Fun. And uh, we would like to find out from you where your next performance is and if people want to hire your band, how they can do that. Well... Actually, we have refused ever to accept any payment whatsoever. We don't do that. We have allowed people to uh, uh, provide some sound system in, in, when we're performing before a large group, and uh, we, we really don't hire out to do that. In fact, the last uh, uh, or the next invitation that's pending uh, is at uh, uh, an, an assisted living care facility for some older people, and uh, I have agreed that we would uh, we would go do that. I have done that once before individually, and those people seem to get a kick out of it. So we just uh, we just do it where it comes open, and try not to do it over once every six months or a year, uh, because the most fun of doing it is the jamming with the guys, playing for ourselves is what's really the fun. I don't particularly like preparing and getting ready to get up in front of people, but once we do, it's, uh, it's fun. Well, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they'd like to st- extend you an invitation over the next year? Uh, they can reach me at uh, uh, just Noli Bice, B-I-C-E, at uh, uh, Baylor Law School, uh, Waco, Texas, and that'll get there. Well, thank you very much, Nolly, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Well, thanks, Greg. Bob, I appreciate the call, and it was good visiting with y'all. I'm looking forward to hear what the other lawyers say they do. Very good. And I guess now, Bob, we can say that Elvis has left the building. (laughs) Elvis is gone. Bye. Thank you, Nolly. Well, Bob, our next guest is for any lawyer who has love on his or her mind. We'd like to bring on to the program attorney Elena Albamonte. Elena has spent most of her legal career working for the U.S. federal government, uh, but she is also the president and founder of a website called Lawyers in Love, where lawyers, law students, and other legal professionals can connect and, with any luck, find love. Welcome to the program, Elena. Thank you. Well, Elena, how did you come up with the concept of Lawyers in Love? Well, I was um, on some of the other dating sites, and I, um, I thought I met a few lawyers while I was on those sites, and I thought it might be nice to have our own site that we could meet people more directly. Well, have, you, uh, have you had any successes? How's it worked? Well, we have, uh, currently have about 1,500 members. Uh, we've only really been advertising it since January of this year, so um, we're pretty happy with the 1,500. Um, I, I delete anyone who isn't... Um, a lawyer or who is a, a predator or that kind of person. I look at all the profiles myself, so we, the numbers are would have been a lot higher probably, but we're trying to keep it just for the legal community rather than a general on, online site. 
And do you allow paralegals to join? Uh, yes, paralegals, law librarians, legal secretaries, um, even law enforcement, um, you know, as long as it's a law-related uh, field. And law you, students. And law students, yes. Yeah. Can, can, do you know of any, any success stories? Have any matches been made between lawyers or law legal types? We um, actually just re- recently sent out an email, a general email, asking people to contact us. But um, lawyers, I've noticed, are very reticent about, number one, people even knowing they're on the site or uh, communicating anything about themselves. I have heard from a few people that they're having fun, um, that they've met people, but not that they've met the one. But like so I said, it's it, only been about six months. Yeah. How does, it, how does it work? How does somebody uh, sign up, and how do they get matched? Uh, well, they, they match themselves, actually. Um, I felt it was better. You know, I think it's better than having people send, some of the other sites send you people, but they're really just randomly sending you people, you know, of a certain age. Or, And I thought it's better for people just to search and find their own matches. But basically, they just fill in the profile, and their profile is approved. And once approved, um, they get a user status, which means that they can email anybody that they want and indicate that they're interested or send them emails. Now, Elena, you're not married, so have you found love on the website? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't yet. I'm. Um, I consider it a kind of a conflict of interest at the moment. Uh, I don't really know how I would. Um, I'd, I'd rather kind of be an observer. But there are people that I would be interested in um, actually on the site, but I really haven't. I try to tell my friends to uh, email them. I'm sort of a uh, a broker for people that I know, but basically, I, I'm not on, my, on it myself. Conflicted out of love. That's the lawyer's <laughs> dilemma. That's... Yes. Well, the problem is I know their real information. I mean, you know, I can, because I'm the systems operator, I can go behind, I can see what their real name is. Say they say that they're the devil's advocate. That's their username. But their real name is, you know, Bob Smith or something. I don't really want to get into, you know, people saying, well, you really knew who I was and, you know, that kind of thing. Someone right. that I was dating, for example. Right. So, or I, which firm they worked at. Or, right. I mean, ahead of time. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, once you're dating someone, you learn things about them. But I didn't want people to say, well, you selected me because you knew that I was a, actually a certain person, you know. So do you recommend that lawyers find love with other people in the legal field? Well, I think uh, probably um, it is a lot easier. I mean, where I work, actually, at the Justice Department, there are many, many people that have... Um, found each other at work and are happily married. So I do think um, lawyers and other lawyers are a good match. Now, you used other online dating services, right? Right. I used um, Match.com uh, when I, you know, and then when I was doing research, I went on about five different ones. When I had the idea, I went on about five different ones just to see the difference between the different sites. What was your experience with the other dating sites in terms of finding someone you thought was compatible with you? Actually, I did find someone that was, I thought, pretty compatible who was a lawyer. Um, but I, uh, the other people, I found a lot of really, really nice people, but nothing. I was actually only on for a month or, you know, a little over a month. And then I, um, you know, I had the idea, and so then I started really getting involved with that instead of, um, instead of trying to find a match. Now, does this cost anything for people to sign up and use the service? It's free to post a profile, and uh, currently it's free to use it. Um, eventually it's going to be uh, sort of a nominal fee, like $10 a month. Um, and, and the purpose of that is partly to keep people off from spamming other people. It's very, believe it or not, it's very, well, I'm sure you know, very hard 
there are constantly people signing up and pretending to be other people on all of these sites, and the trick is to try to, you know, figure out who they are and delete them before, and you know, not give them any ability to email anybody else. And then it's assisted also if you only give people user status if they've paid their money and used a credit card that's traceable. So mm -hmm. the old um, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Right. If if you're if you just allow anybody, they could be a predator from um, you know some of these people are just trying to um, bilk people out of money and that kind of thing. They send those letters, you know, sort of sob story letters, trying to get people to send them money. Now, do you go on sites or cross-check with uh, the other sites like Don't Date Him Girl and things like that? Um, I have looked at those sites. We haven't really had any issues yet. Um, we're constantly improving our site and trying to get it, um, you know, a lot of the bells and whistles that some of the other sites have. I don't like, um, one thing I don't like is a lot of ads. I mean, I want some ads, legal-related ads, or things that would be interesting to lawyers, but I'm, I'm trying to stay away from things that sort of mess up the look of the page and really give you a headache. And so that's, uh, there's a lot of that kind of stuff on some of the other sites, too. There's so much information and so many different things, and the whole purpose of this was to really make it easy for lawyers and not waste their time. You know, they're busy let them get on the site, you know, let it be free of all kinds of confusing, you know, information. And, and that's what, uh, that's why my site, if, if you look at it, it's pretty, especially the homepage is very, very clean as far as any, um, all these other things you can click on and all this kind of stuff. There's just a few ads and they're related to lawyers. And well, Elena, tell our listeners how they can find your site and find out more information about your service. Okay, well, it's called lawyersinlove.com. Um, that's all they have to do is click on it. If they want to be a member, it's free membership, and right now it's also free to use the site um, as long as I approve your profile, of course. And um, that's all. That's it. It's pretty easy. Great. Well, thank you very much, Elena. We have appreciated you being on our program. We are going to stop the fun for about 60 seconds now. When we come back, we'll be joined by two more attorneys, and we'll hang 10 with one and look at the artsy side of the law with the other. Coast to Coast returns in just one minute. Thanks, Elena. Okay, thanks. Bye. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. 
We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. All right, dudes, welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Craig Williams. Next up is Grant Hardacre. We are not going to speak about briefs or negotiations in this segment of Coast to Coast. We're going to put on our wetsuits, a 3-2, and paddle out to sea with Grant. Oh, very good, a 3-2. That's surfer <laughs> language right there. Yeah. Well, well, Grant Hardacre is not only an attorney at Blum, Proper, and Hardacre in Los Angeles, but he's also an active member of the Association of Surfing Lawyers. The Association of Surfing Lawyers is a nonprofit organization of attorneys who promote and preserve the lifestyle, causes, and concerns of surfers around the world. Welcome to the show, Grant. Thanks. I'm not just a member. I'm also the president. Well, that's great. So then you know more about surfing than most of us know. Uh, About surfing uh, lawyers, anyway. uh, Yes. Uh, Unfortunately, I know more about lawyers than I would like, but uh, the surfing part is my saving grace. Well, for those of us on the West Coast, Grant, I'm most interested to know where it is that you actually surf. Well, anywhere between uh, Santa Monica and uh, Rincon, which is near Carpinteria. So that area uh, stretching through Oxnard and Ventura and and, uh, part of Santa Barbara is where you'll find me, depending on the uh, time of year. So you'd ever get down to Trestles or uh, Old Man's? Occasionally. Um, It's a little outside of the... uh, my usual range, but uh, on the way down to San Diego or, or Mexico, we'll go out in those spots. So, so Grant, how big is your association, and, and how many? Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how lawyers and surfers compare with each other. Well, our association—we got about 150 members, and they're from a, you know around the country, and some in in Australia and Canada, and um, you know you could take the uh, uh, you can take the lawyer out of the surf, but not the surfer out of the lawyer when you're a surfing lawyer. So, <laughs> so it's a unique crowd. It's not your usual. Uh, when we have meetings, it's uh, it's really enjoyable. We have a good time. We enjoy each other's company, and we talk very little about uh, being a lawyer. But we offer uh, continuing legal education. So we'll go to uh, Fiji, for example, for a week, and we'll go surfing, and then during lunch we'll have an hour of uh, continuing legal education. And we'll get uh, quite a few credits um, for that in a very casual environment. So it's great. So what type of board do you surf on? Usually uh, a short board, anywhere from 6'2 to 6'8, or a long board, up to 10 feet, depending on the conditions. Um, I've been surfing since I was 10 years old, so it's second nature. Do you have any newbies in the organization? Lots. <laughs> Lots. We, uh, uh, we have a pretty wide spectrum of surfing skills. So when we pick a surf spot for our trip, we try to pick a place that has uh, something for everyone, some challenging waves and some, some uh, uh, easier waves so everybody can have a good time. And we usually pull that off. So what, 
What's what's the reasoning? I mean, why did you, somebody decide you needed to have an association of surfing lawyers as opposed to a surfing association on one hand and a lawyers association on the other? Uh, well, our former fearless leader Dave Olin came up with the idea, and uh, he and I and some other dedicated people helped put it together, and it was a way to combine uh, our passions, lawyers, lawyering, and surfing, and uh, you know. A lot of us are here on the you know coastal strip between Orange County and Los Angeles, and we figured why not join the two and network with each other um, and enjoy ourselves. How many people are in your group? About uh, around 150, depending. Uh, there, there's those that pay the dues, and those are just on our email list. So I will say those on our email list are around 150, and our dues are about 120 for a practicing lawyer for every, every year. And when you go on trips, how much is it? What? Um, how many people attend, and generally, what's the cost of your trips? Oh, well, we get around twenty to twenty-five people on a trip. Um, we've been to Fiji twice. We've been to El Salvador, and you know, it costs a couple grand probably for airfare and the trip. It's not too bad. I think Craig's ready to sign up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not bad. I'm not a good surfer. <laughs> Does, yeah. does the surfing life ever make its way over into the legal life? I mean, is there a, is there a law practice related to surfing, or or uh, or what areas of law do, do mm. most surfing lawyers tend to focus mm. on? Well, we have a lot of uh, of tort lawyers and um, of criminal lawyers. I think they have the most free time on their hands when they want it, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, uh, that I'm one of the I'm one of the only lawyers that I know that does trusts and estates in the in our organization, um, and we have some uh, public interest type lawyers and uh, some in-house people. But I'd say it's mainly personal injury and criminal law guys. And you don't have to be a good good surfer to be a, a member. You just have to pay your dues. <laughs> Well, how does it feel when you uh, catch the perfect wave compared to uh, winning a case? Hmm. I'd rather catch the perfect wave. Uh, but, however, to catch the perfect wave, you need to win the case. So one goes with the other, I suppose. But um, one's, one's sublime and one's just a victory. Are you able to leave the law, the practice of law behind when you're out on the board? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Uh, I close the door behind me and forget about it That's once funny. I leave. What advice do you want to give to other lawyers that need some type of escape? And we've got a lot of lawyers that listen to this podcast that are wondering how, you know, especially the ones that are in the middle of the country, mm. how can they do it? Uh, I, well, I do yoga also. That's a great way to go. Uh, it sounds cliche. probably is. But yoga is a great way to get between your ears and just uh, focus on the present, which is what a good wave does for you. There's nothing else matters except that moment, and that's um, that's what uh, you know. That's what yoga can do for you. And of course, the great question—I mean, the great question for lawyers—is where do you find the time to do this? I mean, how, how often do you get to get out surfing? Do you make it part of your regular routine? How do you do it? Mm, well, I commute from uh, the San Fernando Valley to West LA, and on the way, I take uh, one of the coastal canyons. I could drive down the coast. Um, or if there's enough sunlight after work, I'll go after work or before work. I make. Th- I am single though, <laughs> so I don't have a family. It makes it a little. It helps a lot. Have we got a website for you. What's that? 
Have we got a website for you? <laughs> What's that? Warriorsinlove.com. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> How do people well, get a hold of you, Grant, if they want to join your organization? www.surfinglawyers.com, and there's a membership application, and if you fill it out and send it, uh, with your check, um, we'll put you on the email list, and you'll get uh, emails from us from time to time about meetings. We have famous surfers, uh, old timers, and, and new guys come and talk to us. Most of our meetings are in Los Angeles, so that's the only problem. We don't have really any organized branch outside of LA, so things tend to be focused here. Um, but uh, we have very, very interesting uh, uh, speakers from time to time, but it's www.surfinglawyers.com. Well, Grant Hardacre, thanks very much for being part of the program today. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Grant. Good to talk to you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Next up, an attorney who you would consider to be a true artist. Attorney Paul Kenny is a partner of Kenny and Conley PC in Braintree, Massachusetts. He specializes in catastrophic injury cases. Uh, and some will say he's one of the most compassionate and effective trial attorneys on the East Coast. But his family and friends also know another side of him as a musician, composer, writer, and screenwriter. Welcome to the show, Paul. How are you? Well, we're great. Um, Paul, you seem somewhat like a renaissance man, so we'd like to start with your writing. Apparently you've written a couple of books which really aren't about the law. Uh, I understand you've written a book called Paths Along the Way. And that's, that's right. And another one called Man of the Sword. That's correct. So why don't you tell us about the books? Well, Path Along the Way does have um, some law in it. It's uh, my first book, and it's uh, somewhat autobiographical, and essentially it involves the lives of two uh, inner-city kids. Uh, it starts out in the 60s, and essentially uh, it traces the paths of their lives uh, through uh, the hardships of the 60s and through war and assassinations and what have you. One becomes a trial lawyer, an accomplished trial lawyer in the Boston area. The other becomes a state police detective. And ultimately, because of the uh, people he deals with on a daily basis, becomes addicted and, and falls into the abyss, so to speak, and becomes a, a criminal. And uh, when he's paroled, uh, he and uh, the good friend uh, that is the trial lawyer uh, team up ultimately to defend a uh, an inner city kid falsely accused of uh, of uh, murdering a Boston police detective, and uh, it's called Paz Along the Way. And uh, uh, it it was my first venture into the writing sphere, and uh, I often tell the story. I thought, uh, um, you know, that I I was an English major in in college, and I thought that I had a, a gift for writing, but I never understood the rigors and the art needed to be a good writer, and that is to. Uh, to show as opposed to tell. And uh, we do a lot of telling in the law and demands and 
telling a jury about what uh, what our case is about and telling them what they should do with uh, the evidence, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're writing, it's an entirely different medium. And I had I had gotten to the point point where I'd written about 250 pages of this masterpiece. I thought, uh, and then in a, in a in a lucid moment, I read through it and I thought it was a pile of junk. <laughs> and I started again, and that was really I think where I began to understand that uh, writing novels is a far different cry from uh, arguing in front of juries and presenting settlement demands and doing the things that we do to make a living. Um, and actually, with uh, paths along the way, I had um, I was contacted by uh, one of the foremost literary agents in in Boston, and they were interested in buying the dramatic rights and. Uh, uh, you know, me going to Hollywood and doing all of this and that. But at the time, I had uh, a very busy trial schedule. Uh, I had a, a medical negligence case involving a brain-damaged baby. I had an inadequate security case involving a woman who had been essentially paralyzed. And I felt that I didn't have the time or the uh, wherewithal at that time to... Uh, to commit to uh, making a 180-degree turn, so to speak, and uh, become a screenwriter in Hollywood or to do uh, to write for the movies or what have you. So the book has not been published, although I've had overtures to do it, uh, and it was a labor of love. With, with, I know that's a cliche, but it certainly was a labor of love because ultimately what it was was it was a, a tremendous respite from the rigors of uh, of uh, trial work. As to uh, Man of the Sword, this was just a wonderful excursion I made into uh, into the life of, I think, one of the most uh, intriguing historical figures I have ever run across, and that's uh, General Thomas Marr. Uh, General Thomas Marr was an Irish rebel who in 1848 was exiled to Tasmania, escaped and uh, made his way ultimately to New York at or about the time that the famine Irish had arrived in New York City. And he became the icon of the famine Irish. And when the Civil War broke out, he formed the Irish Brigade, which is, I think, the most decorated combat unit in the history of American warfare. And he was a trial lawyer. He was a newspaper person. He was just a, a wondrous speaker, and he was down deep, uh, a dyed-in-the-wool rebel against uh, uh, injustice. And uh, he ultimately became the uh, the governor of Montana after the Civil War, and he disappeared on July 1st, 1867, in Fort Benton, Montana. And there are, like, many and varied uh, ideas about what actually happened to him, but no one was able to determine definitively what exactly happened. So I started off on this quest to find out what happened to... Uh, to Thomas Marr, and I think I was able to do so. I was. Uh, I went to Ireland. I, I spent some considerable time in Ireland. I was down in New York. I went to uh, to Helena, Montana, and read his personal papers. And I also uh, 
went to Fort Benton, and there's probably about eight people that I know who have ever heard of Fort Benton. Uh, but uh, Fort Benton is right on the Missouri River. It was the last outpost uh, on the Missouri River where traders from uh, Canada would come down and they would come up from St. Louis, and it was a real hurly-burly kind of wild place, and that's where Mar ultimately disappeared. So I was able, through uh, a lot of intriguing connections, to make my way into resolving, I think, what happened to him ultimately. And uh, that's sitting on the shelf, and I'm now at the at the stage where I'm looking to find a literary agent to uh, to uh, place that with a publishing company. Well, Paul, you mentioned Ireland, but I, I understand you're also, uh, in addition to a busy trial lawyer and a writer, you're also a musician, and you've done some recording in Ireland. Is well, I right? wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a musician per se. I play a little saxophone. I'm, I'm, I, I love music. I've always had. I was a, as an inner city kid, uh, and we made our living actually uh, when I was very young, singing in bars in Boston. Uh, my brothers and I, my father had passed away when we were very young, and so. I had I had that as a background. I was in minstrel shows and all the high school shows and things like that. And I uh, I had always loved music. And what uh, what happened is I took a trip to Ireland between one of my trials, and I ran into this colony of musicians out there. And I had just finished Paths Along the Way. And I had the manuscript with me, and what I was doing at that time was I was putting a treatment together to send it off to to uh, various uh, uh, film companies or what have you. And I met with these Irish musicians, and these were top-notch Irish musicians. They had played with Van Morrison at Carnegie Hall. And I said to them, uh, they they found out through my wife that I had uh, I had done this uh, novel, and they wanted to know whether or not I had ever done any music. And I said, you know, I had really thought about doing music for this kind of uh, mood uh, of the of the uh, of the first novel, Paths Along the Way, kind of R and B with a lot of sax work in it and what have you, and. Uh, uh, they encouraged me tremendously, and then what what I did was I relied upon their expertise and their musicianships, and we we basically produced I produced 17 songs in Ireland for Paths Along the Way, and ultimately I came back to Ireland and I I did another 13 I think songs for Man of the Sword. The, the first are. R&B rock music, and the second is a lot of Irish acoustic stuff. So, uh, but I wouldn't have been able to do it whatsoever without these wonderful musicians, and they became friends of my family and stayed at my house, and they were just the best people I'd ever met, and uh, a wonderful respite, as I said, from the rigors of trial work, um, and and just a, a, a an entirely different release. Uh, from uh, from what we do on a daily basis. Well, Paul, let's take a minute and listen to one of your clips, to one of your songs. Sure. Captain, baby, cause you love me. 
When did you realize you had all of this talent? That's a great song. Well, I don't, I don't know if I have all this talent. I, I realized it was kind of necessity being the mother of invention. I had two cases that were particularly grueling cases that I had. I had, uh, as I said, I had this uh, a brain damaged baby case where uh, I worked seven years at it ultimately, but at the time that I decided I was going to start to write a novel, I had just lost a jury trial involving this case. And it was the greatest injustice I have ever seen. Uh, it was a, a case wherein the trial judge excluded um, uh, excerpts from the learned treatise Williams and Obstetrics uh, because the defense lawyers asked him to, and there was no other rationale for it, and that was the key to my winning the case. And when I saw that the disabled child and her loving mother walking from the courthouse up the hill to the parking lot at the Plymouth Superior Court. I'll never forget it. And I said to myself, I got to take a break from this stuff. <laughs> and uh, that was that was followed shortly thereafter by another case where uh, I tried and uh, we were offered a uh, million dollars going into the case, the case I thought was worth much more than that. Uh, we tried the case, and again, I had I ran awry of a, a trial judge who had a different perception of what the evidence should be in the case, and we lost the case. And so, based upon those two uh, grueling uh, experiences, I uh, I decided I was going to try to clear my head, do some meditation, tap into the muse, and try to do the things that I had always wanted to do as a kid. Uh, which was write some music and write some novels. So that's that's really was the impetus behind all of it. Well, you've apparently been very successful in doing that. Well, thank you. So how do we get in touch with you or find your books or music? Well, you can uh, contact me at paul at kenny, K-E-N-N-E-Y, C-O-N-L-E-Y dot com. I think that's the easiest way to do that, and uh, I will answer all of all of your inquiries. Yeah, I, I'm just starting now to really focus on getting these uh, books published and getting this music out there, especially at the prodding of my wife and, and kids, uh, who are uh, the, the most important part of my life. Well, thanks a lot for being with us today, Paul. We really enjoyed talking to you. Okay. Take good care of yourself and keep fight, okay. keep up the fight. Will do. Bye-bye. Well, Bob, that's it for Coast to Coast this week. We will talk to you next week. As it, Craig, I, I just want to extend my congratulations to you for your L.A. Press Club Award uh, over the weekend, and uh, good work. Thanks very much, Bob. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Money, 
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.